0: Book dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub
1: Radio. Hello, and welcome to Book Dreams, the podcast for everyone who loves books and has ever wondered about them. I'm Julie Sternberg, author of a number of children's books, including Like Pickle Juice on a Cookie and its sequels, and the Top Secret Diary of Seely Valentine series.
0: And I'm Evie O'Hallam. I'm also a children's book author. My books include The Truth According to Blue and Cast Off, The Strange Adventures of Petra de Winter and Brom Broen. In each episode of this podcast, we consider a book-related question. In this episode, we consider, what can we possibly read to take our minds off the election? (laughs) So, um just so everyone knows, today is October 31st and we're just a little bit distracted <laughs>
1: just a little.
0: We love the episodes that we have coming up, but we're having trouble concentrating on anything. And so we asked each other, will listeners be able to concentrate during election week? What can we offer that would be light and distracting? And it turns out the answer is romance. <laughs> romance.
1: <Woo! laughs> <I'm> almost- <laughs> I'm so glad that we made this decision. I took the decision as a command that I must spend every minute from the time that we made it until I don't know when, right? Because I don't know when we'll know the election results. Right. I have to spend every second reading romance. We had already read The Ties That Tether by Jane Igaro, whom we interviewed for this episode. She's so charming, and we'll tell you more about her in a second. But I immediately went and read a book called Him by Serena Bowen. She's hit the USA Today bestseller list 16 times with her romances. She publishes them herself. It was such a compulsive read. Yeah, That's the beauty of romance novels. Yeah. <laughs> like I just mm-hmm. couldn't put it down. I will say for those of you who are now going to go and look it up, it does have very, very, very graphic sex scenes in it.
0: Wait, so, you say you wait. You say that like you know, just so you know. I think you need to reverse it, like just so you know. This is part of why it's so compelling:
1: non-stop graphic sex. <laughs> right? <laughs> Choose your adventure, whether you, whether you yeah. think that as, a, as a warning or a, a bonus. Um, as my grandmother used to say, my grandmother used to read like Danielle Steele, and I would say, "How's it going? How do you like the book?" And she would say, "Too much sexy in it." You know? <laughs> Some people might feel there's too much sexy in these, and some people might want more. Okay.
0: Well, it it was such a revelation when you and I spoke yesterday, because I've basically been mainlining Maggie Herberman's Twitter feed. And you said to me, oh, thank God for romance novels. They've been taking my mind off it. And I thought, could it be? So yesterday, (laughs) let's just say that Courtney Milan's Brother's Sinister series is the only thing standing between me and madness right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Start with the Duchess War.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. Yes, I know. I already have. <laughs> <laughs> I finished him and turned promptly to The Duchess War, which is excellent, I must say. And I will tell you that, you know, yesterday at the start of the day, Paul said, what you reading? And I said, a romance novel, meaning him. And at the end of the day, he said, still reading that romance novel? And I said, yes, even though it was, in fact, romance novel number two. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, I
0: said to Nick... I, I was just straight up about it. I said, this is pretty much all I'm going to be doing in every spare moment of time that I have between yeah. now and whenever. <laughs> yeah. And they yeah. are compulsively readable. They're focused on love and who's not interested in love. And you have a guaranteed happy ending.
1: They're perfect for right now. They are uniquely transporting. So yeah, give it a try if you haven't already. Just so folks know, those are the two basic elements, according to the Romance Writers of America, that comprise every romance novel. You have to have a central love story, and you have to have an emotionally satisfying and optimistic ending. It's guaranteed. And let's be
0: clear. Romance novels are big business. Readers of romance novels are voracious. 46% of them read at least one book per week. And compare that to the typical American who reads five books per year. And so what that translates to, according to Romance Writers of America, is $1.08 billion a year in sales. And just so you understand what that means, it's about a third larger than the inspirational book industry and about the size of the mystery novel genre and the science fiction fantasy genre markets combined.
1: Wow!
0: The writers of these novels are regularly on the top of the major bestseller lists, and they have a large, dedicated audience of readers. In fact, the core audience of romance readers is twenty-nine million people. Eve, we have got to switch genres that we write. I know, totally, <laughs> <laughs> I foresee new careers for both of us. And those are just the core readers. You know, almost ten percent of the American population. Obviously, when you add in people who occasionally read romance or new romance readers, <laughs> the number is much bigger.
1: Amazing. Okay, so who is the romance reader? 82% of readers now are women. Although I read that Men are becoming an increasing percentage of the population, so that's interesting. And the average age of the romance reader is 35 to 39 years old, which I found surprising. I, I have this image of little, you know, little old women reading romance and saying, you know, too much sexy as they turn more and more pages. Of, you know, exactly. Story. Well, I'm starting to feel young and hip, right? I. <laughs> I love that. And then in terms of the um, ethnicity or racial composition of the readership, 73% of readers are white, 12% are black, 7% Latino or Hispanic, and 4% Asian or Asian American. Like so much of publishing, there's been a big focus on diversity in the romance industry in recent years. Younger romance readers, in particular, are more diverse in terms of what they're reading. They're reading a lot of queer romance and romance featuring characters of color and written by authors of color. So some trends are moving in the right direction there.
0: Yes. Okay, let's talk about Jane. Jane Agaro was born in Nigeria and immigrated to Canada at the age of 12. She has a journalism degree from the University of Toronto and works as a communications specialist in Ontario. She writes about strong, audacious, beautifully flawed Nigerian women, much like the ones in her life. And her debut novel, Ties That Tether, was recently released by the Berkeley imprint of Penguin Random House.
1: We loved getting to talk to Jane. We started by speaking with her about her mother, who always knew that one of her children would become a writer someday. Here's what she said.
2: Uh, My mother is incredible, (laughs) like everyone's mother. (laughs) She is a a Nigerian woman who is incredibly strong, and uh, she's just so smart. And she used to, like Azeri's mother in the book, who sold foodstuff in the marketplace while she was in Nigeria. My mother used to sell, like, foodstuff. She used to sell clothes in the marketplace when she was in Nigeria. But when she came to Canada, she didn't just leave that behind. She still wanted to sell fashions and clothing and, like, jewelry. So she did that. And she is an immigrant who's just incredibly successful in what she did and, It's very inspiring. So that's my mom.
1: Nice. So like Azari, you immigrated to Canada from Nigeria when you were 12. Are there other similarities between you?
2: Yes, there's a lot of similarities. I wrote myself into this book as well, and I didn't realize it until I was editing. (laughs) So like (laughs) myself and Azari, we love obsessed with romantic movies, and we love clothes and shoes and we're very close to our family, and, you know, we're both Nigerian.
0: (laughs) It's funny how things end up in your book that you don't consciously put into them, but that are so clear after the fact. Yeah. So you didn't start out writing romance. The first novel you wrote was literary fiction, and then you wrote a paranormal romance. What drew you to writing contemporary realistic romance, and why do you think this was the genre that worked best for you?
2: First of all, you guys really did your research. We
0: tried. Does that feel stalkery? I hope it doesn't. <laughs> we just no, google a little bit. I promise. I'm
2: flattered, you guys really came with the research. <laughs> Thank you for taking an interest in me.
0: Of course, of course.
2: <laughs> well, those two books were just like for learning. I think I didn't really go into writing thinking of a specific genre to write in. I just wrote whatever story came to mind. I don't think I ever thought of writing a romance. I read the genre, but the story just kind of came and I couldn't do anything about that.
0: Was this one of those wonderful flashes of writerly inspiration where you, like the story just popped into your head fully formed or can you tell us a little bit more about the genesis?
2: Yeah, it definitely I think it was always a story that was brewing inside me just like gathering and growing. I came back from a conference, a writer's conference in New York, where I worked with a bunch of writers about my second book, which was a paranormal romance. And one of the writers kindly read it and she told me that it needed a lot of work. And I just decided to let that story go. And it wasn't a painful process at all because I had ties that tether in my mind and it just felt so right to tell that story. It seemed very natural to tell it.
1: Oh, that's so lucky. Everyone who's ever written a book, I think, has actually written two or three (laughs) that no one will (laughs) ever see, at least, right? Um, So readers of romance novels tend to be just voracious readers of the genre. What do you think it is about the genre that makes readers so committed to it? And do you have any thoughts about what qualities the best romances share?
2: Well, I think readers love a romance story because like Azaria said in the book, in my opinion, sometimes a love story is the only one worth reading because it gives you hope and it makes you feel happy. And especially in these times, you're so comforting. You know that there's going to be a happily ever after at the end of it. And that's nice to have that in mind. Yeah.
0: When you say that, I feel like that's all I want to be reading for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I don't know why I've been reading anything other than romance for the last time. Well, I was going to say six months, but maybe three and a half years is, better, <laughs> is a better way of putting
2: it. Well, the there are great stories there. Like I love reading fantasy, but I, I hardly ever read a book without a romance subplot somewhere. Even if it's just someone holding hands at the end, like a snow burn, I really need that. I rarely read a story without a romance in it.
1: Speaking of which, this is embarrassing to admit, but I don't think I could ever write the erotic scenes. You know, I blush even thinking about myself writing an erotic scene. (laughs) So I wonder, you know, is that difficult for you? Is it, you know, is it something that a hurdle that you had to overcome as well? Or did you find that, you know, easy because you're a lot less repressed than I am? (laughs)
2: Honestly, I absolutely love writing erotic scenes. Oh, good. Yes, I do. (laughs) What's your secret?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because it would be so fun to write romance, right? There's so much joy in it, but I'm held up by this problem of
2: mine. It's fun to write it. But for me, the fear is the idea of having my agent read it or my editor or my mother. Yes. Or anyone who knows me. (laughs) My aunt came over the other day and she was like, I can't believe you wrote a sex scene. And I said, I warned you before you read it. (laughs) But what makes me not as cautious as I used to be is that everyone has sex. Like you're on this earth because of sex. So let's just get over it because it happens and it's wonderful. And who doesn't love sex? If you say no, you're just lying. And you can always do it so tastefully and make it emotional, not just like two people getting together, but you can make it absolutely beautiful.
0: Although I can imagine there could be awkwardness getting line edits from your editor about (laughs) your (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I think that's a wonderful way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, Romance is a genre where a lot of authors happen to have found success self-publishing. Did you ever consider going that route?
2: I never considered going to that route because I just didn't feel like I would succeed. I think everyone knows their strength; They know what they're capable of. And I knew without doubt, that would not be a path that I would succeed on. I wouldn't know how to market it. I wouldn't know where to begin. I don't think I have the wisdom for that all the time or the energy. A lot of people excel at that. They have been incredibly successful. And I do know of a lot of authors who do publish traditionally at first and then go to the self-publishing route. So different strokes for different folks. I just do what I feel is comfortable for me and more fit into my abilities.
1: The Ties That Tether is a romance that explores serious themes, What issues were you trying to explore and what was it like to explore them in this genre?
2: Well, I wanted to explore the immigrant experience, trying to hold on to your culture and also adapting to your new culture, just figuring out who you are while straddling these two different worlds. That was my main focus. And also how Older generations of immigrants, they struggle with this, um, this holding on to your culture, especially with your children. So I wanted to also portray that in the story.
1: I obviously have a very different background from Jane's and from Azare's in the book, but I can relate to her parents having very strong views about the cultural background of the person she's allowed to marry. My parents and grandparents were adamant, adamant that my siblings and I all had to marry someone Jewish, and they were clear that they would disown us if we didn't. I knew this in preschool. There's a famous story in my family about a day when I was in a carpool ride home from preschool and apparently the little boy in the back seat asked me if i would marry him i think we were about 4 and i said i sorry i can't marry you you're not jewish oh my god <laughs> 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 otherwise we were set <laughs> In every other, there's your
0: soulmate, <laughs> right, exactly. except for this one thing. There's one re- thing. Oh my God. It changed the course of fate. Yeah. <laughs> well, so how did you feel about marrying someone Jewish? I mean, once you were past the age of four.
1: I would say that until I was probably in my 20s, I didn't really put a lot of thought into it, probably because the thought of getting married seemed quite unreal. And then as it became more of an actual possibility. I think I just told myself that um marriage in general is really hard and marrying someone of the same background, someone who shares the same faith as I do would at least take away one possible source of friction. But I think, you know, probably at that point, I mean I was so you know, it was so a part of my identity mm-hmm. identity that um, that kind of thinking was probably just a way of making myself feel like I was making the decision on my own. How about you? Was this a big part of, of your growing up as well?
0: Not in the same way, no. Like you, I'm Jewish and I grew up in a mostly Christian town. So most of my friends and my boyfriends were not Jewish. It wasn't as important to my family as it was to yours. And I went to Hebrew school during the week and I went to CCD during the week because if I wanted to hang out with my friends and they were going to CCD, that's, you know, what that's is what I would do. I don't oh,
1: know CCD
0: it's is. catechism class because oh. all my friends were Catholic. So we, okay. I, I, w- I did a lot of CCD and I would go to mass because, you know, if you're on a sleepover and, you know, Sunday morning you get up and you go to mass. So, <laughs> so I had a lot of religious education, just not all of it was my own education. We were a minimally observant family and it wasn't terribly important to me. At the same time, my town in New Jersey, where I grew up, was very anti-Semitic, something I experienced personally. And so I also, from a young age, and understood that no matter how I define myself, others will define me. So I can say, oh, I'm a non-observant Jew, but I'm still a Jew. And mm-hmm. for all that that means, you know, that it's really critical to understand what it means to be Jewish. And I really value my cultural heritage. It's part of both my inherited and my chosen identity. So it's complicated.
1: Yeah, it is. You know, I'm pretty sure we could talk about this all day, but probably we should get back to the interview. And books our favorite topic. We asked Jane what role books played in her childhood. Here's what she said.
2: When I was in Nigeria, I didn't read very much, to be quite honest. I remember one book called Binti Goes to School, and I had absolutely no interest in English at all. I struggled with reading when I was younger because we moved a few times, to different countries. Reading was so not my thing until it happened suddenly. The thing just kind of was like an infectious bug that just took a hold of me. Do you mind sharing where you moved and why? Um, Well, for personal reasons, I can't share the why, but my family um, moved from Nigeria to Germany, then to London, and I moved back to Nigeria when I was less than 10 again. And I stayed there for a few more years before I came to Canada.
0: So when that reading bug finally bit you, how old were you and what were the books you loved to read once you discovered your love of reading?
2: So I was in Canada at the time. Maybe I was like 14, 13. Mm -hmm. And um, I loved Sweet Valley High
0: so the romance really does go all the way back.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I used to sneak romance books with the covers. And then I used to like take a plain piece of paper and stick it to the cover. So my mother wouldn't see the naked man and woman. I would scribble something on it like science. <laughs> so so She bought it. Yeah. I'm sure you totally
0: fooled her, right? <laughs> I really did.
2: She thought I was such a serious student.
0: That's the advantage of being a really serious student is that you can break, no one will think that you're breaking the rules. There's (laughs) stuff you can get away with.
2: And so what was it that made you decide to become a writer? I didn't have a choice in the matter. When I was in high school, I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be the black Hannah Montana. ridiculous. (laughs) I went to this audition during the summer. I got all dressed up and I think I did a good job, but I didn't get it. And I was so depressed that entire summer. But then I got a journal somehow and I wrote a poem called longing for spring and it was so terrible. (laughs) I still have it somewhere. (laughs) And then I just started scribbling stuff in the journal about a boy I was crushing on in church. And I just started writing my first novel, and I didn't even know how to write a novel. I just started writing it.
1: I love that feeling, don't you? The very first time you started writing a novel and you had none of the pressures of, what's my publisher going to think? What's my agent going to think? How many of these I'm going to sell? You're just writing because you just want to write.
0: Yeah. There's just no baggage from past experience, nothing. It's heavenly. Yeah. Well, we could talk about that more, but I'm going to be honest with you,
1: the duchess awaits. Yeah, <laughs> so- right?
0: So I think we need to wrap it up.
1: <laughs> I agree. I don't know if we've mentioned, but it's a series. <laughs> yes. Yes. As I well know,
0: since I'm already, <clears throat> I've moved ahead, I uh, oh, okay. i won't say what number book I'm on.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is it for this episode of the Book Dreams podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast and think someone else would too, please, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player.
0: Be sure to let us know if there's a book-related topic you've wondered about, and we'll try looking into it in a future episode. You can reach us for that reason or any other at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at bookdreamspod and on Instagram at bookdreamspodcast. You can find Jane on Twitter at victoriousjane and on her website, janeacaro.com.
1: Many thanks to our associate producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find Eve at eveyohallam.com and me at Sternberg.com. And check out the podcast website, www.bookdreamspodcast.com. Until next time, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. come oh,
0: listen to Book Dreams with Julie and